Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the most excellent member of the band Wild Stallions. It's none other than Bill S. Preston Esquire himself, Alex Winter. He, alongside producer Scott Krupp, are here to talk about the new film, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Alex explains what it's like going from directing documentaries like Showbiz Kids on HBO and the Panama Papers back into the role of Bill S. Preston Esquire, as well as what it's like acting with Keanu Reeves for the first time in 29 years. Scott shares what made Alex and Keanu so perfect for the original film as Bill and Ted, as well as why the characters still work in 2020. Basically, this interview is a most righteous half hour, all about the Bill and Ted trilogy. We recorded this interview via the internet, so please forgive us for any bogus-sounding audio. Okay, so let's jump into this. I, I got to see the film, and I, I, I was just had a smile the whole time, um, and we'll talk about some more of that in a second. But uh, there have been rumors, hopeful rumors, maybe is a better way of saying it, about a third Bill and Ted movie for some time. What what was it about this movie that finally made it a reality that Bill and Ted Face the Music is coming out and it's an actual film? The uh, Chris Matheson and Ned Solomon, the writers of the original two films, pitched Keanu and myself a kind of a way into the story. That's very much what ended up after many permutations and about 100 years. Um, and then we were very lucky to uh, be able to lure Scott back to the to the family. Uh, he, Scott produced both of the previous films films and he can talk about that um and that became the merry band that was basically it was basically putting the band back together and then we brought on we were able to get dean pariso and and make it happen but it, it, it took time it was not an easy film to get made at all yeah i think people had a hard time visualizing a, a film with such a big gap between the last film and a new film and uh and we kept telling everyone you don't understand there's this enormous Bill and Ted fan base because Alex and Keanu would always tell me every time I do anything, they just ask me about Bill and Ted and Ed Solomon said the same thing. Um, so we knew it was there, but it took a while to get people to believe it. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to, cause I think uh, there are probably fans like me who, who, who grew up with Bill and Ted and now, you know, there are, uh, people have kids and stuff. And I know that's part of the story. And I also wonder, there's like the star Wars, I call it the force awakens effect where you're kind of rebooting it, but at the same time picking up and honoring parts of the first two films that we love so much, but then also introducing some new, um, some new things, I guess is my way, best way of saying that. Yeah. I mean, the thing was, is the guys of uh, Chris and Ed have, have um, always come at these wanting them to be fresh. And <clears throat> when they first pitched Keanu and I, the, idea for Bill and Ted 2. Uh, there was a similar idea, which was let's take all the expectation and all of what would normally be a sequel and let's blow that up and not do any of that and find a fresh way into the story. And And they had very similar perspective here where they, they really wanted to explore Bill and Ted at this age, uh, not make cartoon cutouts of, of, of us from back then. And they also wanted it to be as rich and as full of kind of surprise and invention as, as you know, the previous one, which was great, you know, because it was going to be a very long road to get it made. And they, they really stuck to their guns on that. 
I was going to say, Scott, was there an incident or something that like that was part of the story or the script that finally got someone to go, OK, let's go. Let's do this. You know, it took a while to get the script. It was filled with kind of great ideas and all of that. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of years in where we just kept meeting and people wouldn't quite go for it. And then everyone kind of had a brainstorm about how to make the ending really work and feel incredibly satisfying. And when we got that draft of the script, it opened the doors for a lot of people because the ending was both satisfying, ridiculous, hilarious, and strangely emotional. Um, and I think that that suddenly made everyone go, you know what? Forget the whole marketplace consideration. This is really a great script, you know? And we got Alex and Keanu to do it. Seems like a good idea. I also want to say that ending, it definitely felt that way. I think the word ridiculous popped in my mind. But it's also like, <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I felt, yeah, it was, at points it felt like an arcade fire concert. And then other points it was like, this is it. This is that, this is the song, you know, that we've been talking about for decades. Um, Okay, so obviously uh, I want to get to the release of this and then we'll get into some of the actual making of the film. Um, because of the pandemic, it's affecting everything and it's coming uh, – when this interview is being heard, it will be out. How does that make you feel to know that people are going to be watching this film in their homes for the most part? Well, I mean we wrestled with it. It, it was <clears throat> something that you know w struck us immediately in the very first week of the pandemic in, in March when, when, it, when it was really evident that things were going to shut down. Obviously, the pandemic started long before March. But by March, it was clear that, that movie theaters were going to start shutting down and we were probably not open for a long time. And serious discussions began then about what to do. But it's it's a very you know it's a very complex situation and a lot of people to consider. So, you know, a, a great deal of thought went into it and a lot of talk went into it. But the you know the the ideal way to platform a comedy is in a movie theater with a lot of people laughing together and and in a community experience and enjoying that together. But we also didn't feel that uh, we wanted to wait the pandemic out. We felt that it had taken us a very long time to get the film made. The fans had been very, very patient with us. And we felt a kind of responsibility to deliver to them, you know, around the time we had told them the film was going to be coming their way. And so uh, that was kind of what drove the decision to pursue um, a release that would be in whatever theaters were going and, and home, you know, being able to watch it at home. But in general, I think it's it's not you know it's not the worst film to watch in in this environment. It's it's very sweet. It's you know it's a lot of fun. It's very it's very rich and boisterous and good natured and frame of mind at the moment. So it's it's if you're going to get some entertainment. I think it's the kind of thing that might be nice to have at home. Yeah, we always thought you know because we figured when it came out initially we were thinking. Oh, it'll come out between the Democratic and the Republican convention. People will need some Bill and Ted then. It's going to be crazy. I think they still do. <laughs> um, well, then this whole global pandemic happened. And if there was ever a time for Bill and Ted, it was now. So that really, I think, was a driving force for us where we thought, how can we take advantage of this moment that is just uniquely a good time to put out the message and the spirit of this movie. And 
it was really challenging. And I think what Alex said is really true is that the movie also, it plays like a comedy and it has all this momentum and it has tons of laughs, but it really has this kind of satisfying feeling uh, and a feeling of togetherness and a message at the end that really, I think is gonna work great in people's living rooms. And to me, just getting people the opportunity to see it. And that was a big discovery for us. You know, we originally made the movie and a lot of people just perceived it as, oh, this is a teenage movie. And we knew, the Bill and Ted band knew, well, you know, it really wasn't a teenage movie. It was really played like a family movie, a movie that parents love to show to their kids. And now it feels like that opportunity is really going to happen for us. So we're really excited about that. We're excited about sharing it. Alex, now Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out in 1991. What's it like playing Bill 29 years later? Oh, well, it was, it was thankfully part of the narrative of this sequel that were not exactly the same as we were back then. Uh, so even when Chris and Ed first pitched us the idea, it felt playable. Like I felt as if I could understand who this guy was and how to play him. Um, that being said, Keanu and I both did a lot, a lot of prep work. There was a lot of physical prep and a lot of character work. Um, a lot of work on the script and figuring out how, you know, the logic of it worked for us emotionally in terms of character arc. But at a certain point, you know, we just had to like put all that aside and do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and enough talk, right? And the, the fun thing about that is that, uh, and I think this was kind of a pleasant surprise for both of us, was that we really genuinely enjoy each other's company and we like performing together and that we've spent a lot of time together over the years, but we haven't performed together since 91, 92. He was in Freaked as well, a film I did after Bill and Ted 2. Um, that was it. That's the last time we've, we've acted. That was the last time I acted professionally at all. So thankfully, that was incredibly fun. And, uh, and we found ourselves really settling back into a groove where we were sort of riffing off each other physically, finishing each other's sentences, kind of knowing what the next person was going to do instinctively. All of that came back. And I think it was like on day, it took a few, for day, first few days were harrowing, just like they always are, like just getting your feet wet. And I think it was about halfway through, uh, back end of week one, we kind of looked at each other off set one day and we're like, this is really fun to be back and to be back with you in the, in the kind of sandbox again. And, and it just felt like a good groove. Well, does it ever dawn on you like you're making like documentaries about like the Panama Papers and these really like weighty topics, and then you're jumping back into Bill S. Preston? I mean, what is that like for you? It's great because it's a palate cle <laughs> it's a palate cleanser. Like you know, I uh, even even along the way while we were developing uh, this film. I was in the middle of such heavy stuff, you know, just where, and Keanu worked on this as well, but he wasn't stuck in the world for three years like I was when I, I did a film about the the Silk Road black market and was really embedded in in the in the sort of deep web community and and the kind of the black hat hacker world and and it was very heavy and the Panama Papers was very, very heavy. And 
you know, someone got killed while we were shooting that. And it was incredibly depressing and, and a little scary. And I'd come home at night and like, we'd have a story call on Bill and Ted three, you know, it'd be, it was, it's always been a joyful presence in my life. And people do ask me that a lot. They ask Keanu that a lot too. Like, you know, is it annoying that this thing had the kind of, kind of cultural foothold that it, it does, uh, to the degree that people are always coming up to both of us and quoting lines and, and playing air guitar. And, thing is that you know wherever you are in your life that's that is a pretty joyful thing it's not a dark thing i mean i've known scott literally almost my whole life and and chris and ed and keanu and dean we all became very close with dean there were other people in the in the cast and the crew that worked on the first tour that we've just known forever so it was this big kind of like goofy fuzzy family in new orleans making this movie and as hard as it was to make we all get along great there was a lot of laughter and joy and then we like you know, like the Titanic, we just cruised into this crazy year, you know? <laughs> and I, I look back now that it's been a year since we shot and I go, God, we had no idea what was around the next corner. And it's been a challenging year, you know? I mean, I was worried about my mom's safety in New York when COVID hit. and like, it's a lot to, to deal with for everyone. And, uh, and so for me, even it's kind of a nice oasis that Bill and Ted three is coming out in the middle of all this. And it's just, you know, this kind of little joyful window, uh, like a little, you know, pool of, of good vibes amidst everything else that's going on. Well, I wonder for, uh, for you and Scott, um, I'm astonished when I watch this film how much, and I mean this as a very positive comment, it felt like a 90s comedy. You know, like I think part of it is Bill and Ted are genuine characters and they're not sarcastic. The friendship is obviously what I think appeals to a lot of us between the two of you. But also the film, it's not scared of taking those kind of like sci-fi 90s comedy leaps and story either. And I'm wondering, what's it like to be making this film in an environment where we don't really have comedies like this anymore? Yeah, I mean, one, it's so much fun to work on comedies um, just because they're joyful and they're free form and free flowing. And I really have to give huge props to Dean. Dean really had a sense about what drove the comedy of this movie. And it was this idea that Bill and Ted are these irrepressible characters that the worst thing in the world can happen to them. And they'll suffer it and they'll feel it emotionally for about 30, to 45 seconds and then they're ready to get back on the road and get going and carry on with the quest and it is a wonderful quality and it drives the comedy it drives the momentum and it's just utterly true to those characters and dean really understood it and you know he's a fantastic director it was soul crushingly hot in new orleans and somehow there was just this comfort that we had the captain of the ship knew exactly the tone. If there was a hurricane, he could figure out how to shoot the movie, a scene in one day that should have taken two days. And then you would just look and there would Alex and Keanu were just talking and working and laughing. And you just felt like if we just keep doing this. Uh, it's going to go well. And it did. Well, Scott, you mentioned that the the weather in New Orleans is hot, which uh, I I grew up there. It's uh, a very yeah, it's horribly hot. Um, but I'm wondering, going back to Alex for a second, there's a number of different I think I could say this versions of Bill and Ted throughout the film. Um, is and a lot of it's with makeup and costumes. Is there one that kind of sticks out most for you? 
Um, they kind of all do. I, I mean, I love working in prosthetics, uh, and I was working um, with people who have known forever, who are in, in my mind, you know, among the very best in the world. Bill Corso, who did my day to day makeup and did all of my Ricky makeup on Freak, and is a, an Oscar winning genius. And Kevin Yeager, who did the Granny for Bill and Ted too, and is really one of the masters of. of prosthetic work who created the the prison convict muscle suits and some of the other makeups that we that we wear in the film i, I mean i just love working with artists of that caliber there and those those folks are so incredibly talented and um and acting in that kind of makeup is really fun and satisfying and the other thing that we both really enjoyed was playing different shades of bill and ted so <laughs> um and, and we liked that idea when it was first pitched to us because to your point about 90s comedies, like it, this is not the kind of movie where you just come back after 25 years and here's these two guys that you know just kind of shuffling around on another adventure. This is like peeling them open like bananas and looking at all these different aspects of their character from all these completely absurd perspectives. That's really fun. So I, I truly enjoyed all of all of those, even the characters that we played opposite ourselves that weren't in heavy makeup were really really fun to play. Um, but the prison convicts were just an absolute gas. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was hard cause like it was outside in new Orleans and in the middle of the dead of summer. Um, and I did go into an altered state at one point and I was acting through just sheets of sweat that I could barely <laughs> actually see anything in front of me. But at the same time, it was, it was incredibly fun. Okay, so um, without giving things away, this is in the trailer, so I don't think giving it away. Obviously, Bill and Ted have daughters, uh, and they're <laughs> amazingly played by is it Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was going to wonder, like, what's it like seeing their approach to playing Billy and Thea? And I wonder, Scott, if you could also tag in on this a little bit. Having cast the original <laughs> Bill and Ted, what's it like casting another Bill and Ted? Well, I'll, I'll start. I mean, one of the things is the casting process of the original Bill and Ted was kind of amazing because the script at the time was kind of a very well-known script around town. And if there had been a blacklist, it probably would have been on it because everyone had read it. So we had this great variety of actors. And then it was kind of almost instantly apparent to us that Alex and Keanu had special chemistry because every time you went anywhere, if you went out in the waiting room, they were talking. If you went out to lunch, there they were. They were already having lunch together. And then as you left, they were like getting ready to ride off on their motorcycles. It was kind of amazing. And they had this chemistry that was special. With Bridget and Sam, it was very much the same thing. And it was also uncanny because they did, they had an essence that was Bill and Ted-like, but it was really their own contemporary young women. I don't think this gives anything away. They're very different. Uh, and if Bill and Ted were not the greatest students in the world, uh, these are two whip-smart young women. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, a different thing and they just had it and we picked it up individually because the auditioning process was just different and 
And then when we put them together, it had that same thing where it just sparked and you went, wow, it seems like they've been working together for, you know, months on this to get that timing where it is. So it was really, I found it incredibly exhilarating to watch and they were just such good spirits and had so much fun shooting it. They were band members instantly. So. <laughs> Wait, you guys, you've said that a couple times, band members. Is that, is that what you guys are calling the people who work on these films? Or you guys are band members? Yeah, yeah I love that. That's great. Um, also, I think uh, for a lot of us, uh, obviously, um, George Carlin's no longer with us, and he was such a soulful and like philosophical presence in the first two films. I'm wondering if you guys could speak a little bit of what he meant to you. And on the cusp of releasing this next film, like, what's is he on your mind at all? Well, yeah, he certainly was on our mind all the way through uh, the writing process and the prep process. And, you know, he's kind of a, this sort of spirit is deeply felt and, and uh, there was a lot of consideration for how to handle him in this film. I think the guy has had a, an inspired idea from the beginning that they should treat Rufus the same way in which, you know, one would have treated George, which is that he was mortal and he had passed on and not mm-hmm. try to come up with the cockamamie excuses around just a plain fact that, that everyone has a, you know, has a time to go. And I, I like that idea a lot because it, it just opened up a lot of other possibilities. It opened up Bill and Ted having to reconcile the fact that Rufus was no longer alive, which in the world of time travel, you kind of assume everyone's immortal, which of course they aren't. Um, that was interesting and something that we could play with and it opened up the, the room for the daughter and, and Holland Taylor's, uh, amazing <laughs> portrayal of, of, uh, the great leader, uh, Rufus's, uh, widow. Um, and, uh, it just gave us a lot to work with. Um, but there was a lot of consideration about how to handle a cameo from George. And there was an original scene that, that gave him a lot more to do digitally that in the end we felt was, was just skirting on the edge of possibly not, not working well enough to be worth the risk of, of doing it. Yeah. I mean, George, I got to work with George on another movie, Outrageous Fortune, and he was just one of those guys who was really special to work with. And so we really had to do it right. And I think that Alex hit it right on the head when he said this idea of his mortality. It was interesting because it's not obviously a comic idea, but what it did is it kind of lent the feeling of presence that George gave because he was not doing, you know, George Carlin stand up. He was doing George Carlin as a guide and a mentor and he really created a character and i think not only was it great for alex and keanu but it was really great for kristen who played his daughter kelly because it put emotion to her part which was really largely quite comic um so it was really nice it built this lovely depth into the movie and uh and it's just you know it's adds this moment of emotion on this. It's part of that crazy journey where you have, it's just ridiculous what's going on. And then there's a Rufus moment and it just stops for a moment. And it kind of, you know, for all of us, I think it slightly brings a tear to our eye. It certainly did when I read it in the script for the first time. I remember that was the thing where I thought the prison thing was absolutely hilarious. And then I couldn't believe how, emotional I got 
when Rufus showed up. Um, yeah. So that yeah. really, it just added this, you know, it's part of that depth that Alex keeps talking about is that it has, it's a little more grounded and has a little more emotional depth on top of the craziness. And it seems like, uh, you know, that chemistry of those elements seem to work really nicely. It really kind of captured a spirit and it is a little different than the other two movies. It, it's of the same cloth, but it's definitely not the same pattern. And you mentioned uh, Kristen Shaw. There's like a, uh, so many amazing people in the cast here. But in particular, I wanted to ask you about Dennis Caleb McCoy, played by Anthony <laughs> Kerrigan. All right, I'm getting, I'm getting a response. I thought, like, what is that like? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So good. Um, so we got very, very lucky with both, uh, in my opinion. Um you know, I'm a huge fan of Anthony's, um, as was, you know, most folks after Barry. But he's an incredibly gifted physical performer and what he was able to do through just pounds of makeup and and and, and wardrobe. And there's so much personality in there and, and it's like there's so little of him left to to express. It was it kind of blew my mind every day, like how much he was able to convey, you know, it's buried under plastic and contact lenses and makeup. I mean, we just had this incredible cast and, uh, and everyone came and brought their A game and, and worked really, really hard um, and had ideas to bring to the story and, and had ideas to bring to their character. So we were really grateful. There was nothing tired or kind of wrote about this effort. Everyone really was working hard to try to make something that they felt was special. Okay, for both of you, so the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm curious, what are each of you currently obsessed with? Well, I'm obsessed with cooking because I'm stuck at home. Um, and cooking is my hobby anyway, but now I've gotten like weirdly obsessive about cooking because I have so much more time to spend thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything in particular like you're like uh, trying to explore with cooking that you hadn't done maybe before pandemic? <sighs> Well, I, I'm sort of known for my barbecue and I, I smoke meat and I've gotten into incredibly arcane combinations of wood. I've started like finding wood from all these crazy places and different kinds of wood and what works with ribs and what works with different kinds of meat. And I mean, my kids love it. They love that I have a barbecue obsession. They don't ever <laughs> want it to stop. Um, but it's a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Scott? I'm definitely obsessed with cooking. I'm also obsessed at the moment with gardening because I just moved from a place with a big backyard to a place closer to the beach with very little garden area. And now I'm like into making these miniature micro gardens. And now I'm starting to really get pretty deeply into succulents and looking for obscure succulents. So that's kind of got me going. I, I wish I could uh, get a little more space. So I've, I'm thinking of going vertical and making little towers. And I cook too, so I'd love to be able to get a really good herb garden going. No, the, those are, I, I'm hungry and want to watch movies and look at your garden, Scott. That's kind of yeah. where I'm at right now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All 
I say so. Uh, we have we have to wrap up here, but I want to do a thing called pick one just to allow us to hit a couple things real quick and, and get out of here. Uh, I give you two choices. You pick one. Doesn't mean one's better or 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 not. Uh, so the first one actually is for Scott specifically. Uh, I will set this up a little bit. You've produced amazing films. I want to emphasize this, like Jumanji, Mr. Holland's Opus, Gridlock, Runaway Bride, Last Samurai. Um, and I guess my pick one for you is Shaquille O'Neal in Kazam <laughs> or or the Bill and Ted trilogy. Well, it's hard because obviously Shaq is amazing. Uh, but the Bill and Ted <laughs> trilogy, I'm going to say yes, although... Uh, a rapping genie. It was an idea way ahead of its time. <laughs> way ahead of its time. <laughs> I think you chose wisely, Scott. I'm just going to chime I, in on that. One. <laughs> I think you chose wisely too. Um, I was saying for Alex, uh, I, I was hoping to have more time to talk about your docs, but I do want to just acknowledge uh, uh, Showbiz Kids and versus a Frank Zappa film you're making out. And obviously, it's not about picking one that's better, but I wonder if you could pick one between those two. Uh, well, I would pick Zappa because it's not out yet. Um, Showbiz Kids was, is probably the most gratifying experience I've had making a, making a film. So it isn't a judgment call. But I'm really, really uh, looking forward to getting Zappa out into the world. We've been working on it for like going on six years already. So Wow. So earlier this year, Alex, you shared on social media behind the scene photos of Bill and Ted's lost dance number. Um, I wonder if you could tell me just a little bit about that as we wrap up. It was the prom. It was we take the princesses to the prom. Scott, am I am I right about that? That's how I remember. You it. are, you are. Yep. It was an awesome scene that did not, for unfortunately, make the cut. Did we shoot the entire scene? I have no. I have no memory of any of it. I don't think so. I think we did the wardrobe. I think we were all poised to do it, and then we pulled the plug on it because we decided. We did shoot a different version of the rep final report, which took place entirely, as you recall, for the half day that we started shooting it in a classroom. Yeah, it was deathly, deadly dull. Yes. <laughs> and and, and, and <laughs> I, I remember looking over to Steve Herrick and going, dude, is this going to work? <laughs> and he was... No, I don't think so. And so we had to kind of scramble to do this big auditorium ending. And then the prom kind of fell to the wayside because that was the payoff. And once we got ahead of steam on the ending, we realized that we probably didn't need the prom. So yeah. we did the garage instead. We also kind of, to be honest, we did not have a lot of cash on that movie. And uh, a big scene with extras as opposed to Rufus and the princesses showing up in the garage just seemed to work better. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't finger puppets by the end, but yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I just wanted to say uh, this has been a most excellent interview, and thank you both. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I want to thank Alex and Scott for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. Bill and Ted Face the Music is currently out in theaters and available to rent online. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>